Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. It's Tuesday, October 12th, and a semi-beautiful day in Indianapolis. It's been overcast, but a nice day, a nice crisp autumn day. And uh, today we have a special guest for you, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Please remember to uh, visit our show. We do one a month here during covid and uh, we've been very pleased at some of the really great guests we've had over the past six or eight months. And uh, also, we want to thank the Apple uh, Corporation for sponsoring the podcast and uh, giving us time so we can do this. Now, uh, our next show will be uh, early November, and I hope to have, I don't know if I can be able to do this or not, uh, that if, I, if there'll be enough time, but I'm going to try to have a live show from the Indiana World Language Conference in Indianapolis. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, Guero Loco is our guest, and Guero's been on the show several times over the years. This is our 10th year, as I mention every show, and we're very happy that we've uh, made uh, 10 years of programs um, for the world language teachers. Today in our show, we're going to do our normal um, procedure for a while. And we're going to talk uh, to our guest, Guerra Loco, about what he's doing, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, his life a little bit. And then we're going to try something different, and we're going to try to ask two, um, actually three key questions for Guerra for advice uh, that he has in different, on different topics for world language teachers. So, uh, Guerra, how are you? I'm doing well, Mr. Austin. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Um, so, thank you for being on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on our show. And um, just uh, back with you and finding out what's happening on your front and uh, what things are new. Are there a lot of new things going on? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been uh, super intense over the, over the past few months. Um, since the last time that, that we spoke um, here on the program, um, things have really, really been moving in, in a lot of different directions, but um, but awesome um, at the same time. And, and uh, you know, a little bit of adversity, but, you know, we do what we can to persevere and, uh, and overcome as, as much as as much as I can to to smooth things and make things a little more smooth. But, yeah, I mean, with so much going on, you know, that's bound to happen anyway. So things are, things are moving in the right direction. So. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, now you're still in Indy, right? Uh, I am in Indy for um, a little while longer. Uh, I'm currently waiting on waiting on my visa so I can go international, uh, and then um, and then yeah, so I'll be headed to once my visa comes through, then I, I'll be headed to Germany um, to begin my master's, and hopefully the doctorate is going to follow that in Germany. Okay, now where are you going to be in Germany? Um, I'm going to be in a small city called Bielefeld um, at the University the, the University of uh, Bielefeld. And they have um, a very, very uh, unique program, at least as far as um, compared to what we have here in the United States. And it's called Inter-American Studies or Estudios Interamericanos. And I'm, uh, I was chosen and selected to, to be in that, the, uh, that grad program, the master's program. And I'm super excited because, you know, like I said, we don't really have it on the graduate level here in the U.S. besides border studies. And while I believe that, you know, uh, I'm passionate about the, the border between the U.S. and Mexico. 
Um, you know, I don't think that when we think about the Americas and when we think about Canada, U.S., Mexico, and the rest of Latin America and the Caribbean, you know, um, it's not just limited to the border. And so this really goes in depth. Um, I'm really excited to, to be part of the program because they really go in depth to understand the entanglements and the relationships um, between the different uh, nations and states of the Americas. Now, this is a, their program is also involves uh, a school in Guadalajara, right? Um, yes, they have partnerships um, with with, um, with schools throughout Latin America, um, that and I can apply to be able to um, to basically one of those universities would sponsor me for me to go over for a semester, so that way I can do research and um, and take some of the courses that that they offer at, as well. Um, and then there's the double master's program uh, full, um, in uh, like literature and uh, and. It's more literature focused, and that comes with a double degree from the University of Bielefeld and the University of, um, of Guadalajara. I wasn't selected for that um, this time around, and that, that's totally cool because I'm going to use this opportunity to focus in some in some other areas that are also going to end up coming back to benefit um, dual language, world language, bilingual education. Um, you know, I'm trying to to add to. Uh, what we do here in the U.S. so that way um, our students here and also students in Mexico and throughout Latin America, that they're, they're able to get the best support and the best resources that we can possibly give them. Now, is, um, where, where is the school at in Germany? Yeah, it's in Germany. It's in Bielefeld. Um, it's up in the, north, um, the northwestern part of, of Germany. Like I said, it's a smaller city. There's actually a conspiracy theory about whether it even exists or not. And, um, and what is interesting is, you know, I go and I'm applying, there are two different universities that kind of offer similar, um, that kind of have similar offerings. And, um, and I went with Bielefeld and it was like, as soon as I submitted my application, I go and I'm like looking online because I'm always into like my, my ancestry and my German American heritage. And I found out and I've been searching for a very, very long time for where was like the hometown of my immigrant ancestors that came in 1858. Where were they from? And it was very interesting because as soon as I hit send, about 15 minutes later, you know, I'm digging in to, to my ancestry and some random thing pops up and it took me to those ancestors that I've been looking for, the ones that, the last ones that were born in Germany. And I and come to find out that the university is only 25 miles away from uh, my ancestral hometown um, of my, my German ancestors that came in, in 1858. And it's 10 miles away from the very first Stiegelmeyer factory. Um, and they're, they're like, they make like hospital beds and, and hospital furniture. And so it is very cool because, you know, in this, I talk with students a lot about identity. And uh, when I started to search for my own identity of the, the Germans who had came here in the 1850s, um, I never really thought that it was going to come back full circle and I would be so close to, um, to my heritage and to my ancestral um, homeland. So now... You're taking courses online right now, and then in February you're going to Germany, right? Well, we we um, yeah we start start classes this week, um, and but I'm actually it, it could be February. Um, it's probably going to be um, much sooner um, because I just want to be able to get out there um, as soon as I possibly can to be able to um, to kind of get in the groove of things. Um, make sure that, that my third language, German, um, that I'm working on, I'm still very novice at the language, but I want to make sure that I'm able to to get a good grasp of the language and understand 
um, have a better understanding of the culture because the whole idea is, of course, you know, um, to be able to to get a, um, a very high quality, um, very, very, very extremely almost free low cost education. You know, and so so with those with those goals in mind, um, it's not just that though. It's also about about learning the language. Um, the, you know, most of my friends are are immigrants or the children of immigrants. So to be able to to kind of sort of have my own experience as well, um, and and to actually go and live somewhere else, you know, and, and for me it's going to be way different because I might look like like others that are there. I might have a last name like Stiegelmeier, which is super German, but as soon as I, I open my mouth, they're going to know that I'm not German. And so, you know, I'm I'm very excited and interested to kind of see where things go with that, and I want to start like a little video blog where I can kind of help others to be able to study in Germany because. My courses are, are 100% in English and in Spanish. And, um, and there, there are a lot of, of hoops and a lot of procedures you've got to go through. But if someone is interested in getting their master's or their doctorate in Germany, I highly, highly recommend it because, um, you know, especially if you don't want to get saddled with the, saddled with the debt um, that you're going to find here in the United States. So um, now when you, ta- so when you get there, uh, when you get to Germany, so it's going to be a culture shock, right? Of sorts, correct? Oh yeah, I'm I'm quite positive. I've been trying to get as, as much information as I possibly can. Um, you know, there's a lot of similarities, so I don't think it's going to be as much. But I also don't know. Um, so I'm going in with not a lot of expectations. Um, you know, my stereotype types. I've been watching videos to debunk my my own stereotypes of what Germany might be like. And then also to understand what their stereotypes are of people here in the United States. And, um, you know, just to, you know, just to be able to, um, to get over there. And, you know, like you said, it it might be a culture shock, but you know, I'm, uh, you know me and, you know, wherever I've went, you know, throughout the world, throughout Latin America, uh, I've always made the best of the, of the situations that are there. And I'm actually, I love culture shock actually. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited for that. Now, when you get uh, to Germany, then so um, are you going? Who will you live with a family or in a in a residence, like a dorm type situation? Um, those are those are some of the options, but I think I'm just going to go ahead and get um, and get my own apartment while I'm out there, uh-huh. and um, somewhere in the middle of downtown and and the university is kind of where I'm uh, is kind of where I'm thinking at at this point, and the cost of living. Um, isn't very expensive at all. They say that the cost of living is around like eleven hundred dollars, eleven hundred fifty dollars per month uh, out there. So, um, so for me, you know, I can I can make that happen. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm um, when it comes to those things, you know, I am looking at, at being able to have my own place just because you know I am a little older and, and I'm I'm used to my privacy as well. And uh, and th- and that's something that's important to me. So so I'll be looking to be able to um, to stay somewhere, but also somewhere that that's connected to, you know, cafes and different types of, of um, areas in the public sphere um, that are easily accessible and where um, I may be able to, to, to meet people and converse and, and things of that nature to, to make sure that so, my numbers get better. Right. So when you have your classes over there and online, but over there as well, the classes will be, what, in English, you said, or Spanish, uh, correct? This, yeah, they're in English and in Spanish. So it's about 50-50 um, within, within this program. and uh, But German isn't, isn't necessary, but I still want to learn it so that way I can um, uh, continue my quest of becoming not just bilingual, but, but both of them. 
Right. Now, this and, that, uh, this master's degree that you would get there, what would it be in then? Would it be in uh, uh, immigration study type thing, culture? No, it, no it's, it's called, the program is called Inter-American Studies um, slash Estudios inter Interamericanos. Uh-huh. Okay. And so it's really the study of, there, there's a lot of different options about, um, you know, some of the some of the courses, like right off the top of my head, that, that, that appealed to me is um, race and racism um, in the Americas, um, you know, and just getting a better understanding of how, you know, unfortunately, um, race has affected so much. Um, and, and so many people's lives are, are negatively affected by the systems and that, that we have in place and that have been in place for hundreds of years and that just kind of continue to morph into different things and be called different things, but it's basically the same stuff. And so, you know, that's one of the courses that, that, that's really um, exci- exciting for me, um, as well as um, the culture courses, of course, that, that I'm going to be able to dive into and then the opportunity to spend the semester um, either in Mexico or throughout Latin America, um, partnering with one of those those universities. Now, when you get through with that, then you could go on for your doctorate, correct? Uh, yes, and that's in, and the doctorate would, would be within the same uh, within the same field. It would just be, um, of course, very research based. You know, the German programs are a little different within the master's program because you are basically the grades are only the final. So only the final paper is, is your grade and only, or the, only the final project. Um, mm-hmm. there, you know, there are a little bit, I guess that participation, um, participation correct points, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, it's, um, if you, it, it comes down to the finals. And so you've got to be able to do the work and, you know, it's like, they're talking like 25, 35 page, um, uh, uh papers for each course. And I'm great with that because I love to write, but it, but that's kind of how their education system set up, at least within the program that, that I'm in. And I've read work to where plenty of others are as well. You know, it's very very heavily loaded on the on the final stuff. So, is this a big university enrollment wise or normal type? type? It Small. It's a, it's an up and coming university. I think that's what they call a new university. Um, it was open like 1960s compared to like FAU, okay. um, which I had um, had applied to, which is in um, Erlangen, Nuremberg, and that was the other one that which which I applied to. But I went with Bielefeld, even though they they weren't as big and and um, and may not have the, the name as FAU. Mm-hmm. What Bielefeld does have is within the Inter American Studies program, they are the leaders. Um, of the field. They're, mm-hmm. they're the leaders of theorizing what is inter-American studies, how do we, um, what does it mean when we in- interact with each other, how is culture transferred from one country to another, and these are things that are, that intensely interest me, because I've been so influenced by um, so many people from, you know, not just Latin America, but also, you know, Latinos and immigrants, uh, that uh, or Latinos, rather, that, that grew up in the United States or, or, or were born here, you know, I've been so culturally influenced by, uh, by so many of them, you know, and I knew right. me back when I was younger and I was in your high school class, and yes. I'm just a, you know, a gringo from the west side of Indianapolis. And to be able to, um, to be allowed in so many different spaces and to be trusted within those spaces um, has really affected me in so many positive ways yes and uh, yes. you know that's kind of like when i go and talk to students and things like that like i want them to understand that you know when we get to know each other when we just make a little attempt 
to break down our own stereotypes. Um, like I said, get to know um, other people. Like we realize that we have a lot more in common um, than the differences. You know, we still got to rec- recognize and respect our, um, our differences, you know, um, but at the same time, I think that if we, if we sit down, most people, they've got a lot more in common than they do uh, differences. Absolutely. Now, the dual language uh, programs, uh, I know you've been highly involved in the dual languages really for about a couple of years now, right? At least. Um, well, yeah, because... 2014. Yeah, I was um, going to say, it's been I, a while. And when I jumped back into, because I started in education as, as a middle school educator, you know, it was right. sort of a dual language program. It was more culturally, but they had, we also had it linguistically um, in there as well with the English and the Spanish. And then, you know, when I jumped in with you, then we were going to the kids that were sitting in Spanish class, you know, wondering, why am I taking this language? How am I ever going to help us? Help me? How is it ever going to help me out? Um, kind of sort of how I was when I was in school, um, you know, growing up in Indiana in the 90s, you know how that was too. We didn't have a lot of Latino or Mexican influence. Right. And so, um, and so, you know, really uh, being able to, being able to express that to others um, and to young people and get them excited about learning languages because, you know, I thank goodness every single day uh, that the, um, that the Marines sent me to learn the same language I almost failed, not in your class, but the same language I almost failed when I was in high school. And because it's done nothing but open so many wonderful doors, um, and I've been able to meet so many uh, wonderful and beautiful people that I might not have had that opportunity if, if I didn't know the language. Right. Now, uh, so do you have you have any concerts coming up? And you have a big one coming up soon, right? Oh, yeah. Um, November 10th, um, I will be at La Potecha. And, you know, I, I know that uh, maybe, and I'm assuming here I'm stereotyping, uh, but maybe your listeners might be more on the world language side. And I would still um, implore them and, and suggest to them that they check out um, conferences like La Potecha, um, con- other bilingual education conferences like, you know, the, the California Association for Bilingual Education. You know, go to these conferences because, you know, uh, and... When, when it comes to world languages, we need more, I believe, than just throwing the language at them because, you know, I mean, no pun intended, but it's, it's, if it's, we're just talking about the language, it's going to be very, very foreign um, to the students. And, and if we're not connecting it to the real world, um, it's going to make it more and more difficult um, to get the students engaged and, and excited about learning. But when we can show them, look, this is what you can do with the, with the language. Look, this is somebody who struggled and thought that they couldn't couldn't learn the language, but you know now they use it every single day of their life. Um, and and I just I think that within world languages, they can, especially culturally, um, social emotionally, um, there's so much that La Cosecha in particular offers, um, and that world language educators can also, and along with that, you know, language instruction and those types of things as well. Um, but you know, really being able to connect students to the culture and on that social emotional level. I mean, it's that's that's where the gold is. Yes. That's where you're yes. going to hook the students in and and, and bring them. Yes. In. Now, w- when we talk though about uh, now the La Cosecha, where is it this year for the listeners? Where is it? La Cosecha will be in Albuquerque, New Mexico this year. And, it's, and uh, like no. I said, it starts November 10th. And um, they've also got online. I think you can register, you can register um, by the 22nd. And, um, 
And then I think that's the email that I just got, that they still have open registration until the 22nd. Now the, and that's, it's, it's hybrid. It's hybrid. Oh, it's hybrid. So it's partly live and part the, part the other, right? Virtual. Yes. Yes. But I will be, I will be live. So this will be my first, um, my first, uh, uh, besides one that I did for Monarca Academy that I'm on the, the school board of here in Indianapolis. Besides that, um, this will be my first live performance. Uh, and, uh, since, I, well, since early 2000, right before COVID hit, or yes. right before it hit hard. Yes. And so I'm very excited because I love La Cosecha. I'm the group out there, the language education in Mexico. They do a phenomenal job, um, and they, they always, um, they're always looking for new ways to intensify and to make things better, and they put such a wonderful focus on indigenous cultures and indigenous language languages and expanding um, language because I think we talked about this before, you know, once the language is lost, the culture follows soon after. Yes, and, um, and that and you know, and they they're just some really good leaders out there, aren't there? Really, uh, oh, yeah. there's David, yeah. right? David is still there. Yeah, yeah, David's out there, um, and uh, Leslie, she does a wonderful job um, with the conference. But like, I'm looking forward to see um, uh, Dr. Kathy Escamilla out there, uh, and uh, my friend Jesse Winter. Uh, who's an educator in the middle school. We always have a great time, and he takes care of me when I'm out there. Um, but I love New Mexico. You know, growing up in Indiana, a lot of stuff is flat and, you know, the stereotypical cornfields and stuff. But New Mexico is just, I'm just in awe whenever I go, whenever I go out there. So I'm very excited. Dr. Jose Medina is going to be there. So I'm very excited to be able to see people in, on a limited, in a limited way to be able to congregate a little bit um as well now are they going to have masks is that just kind of uh recommended or are they just going to be live totally live there yeah no we'll be we'll be following the, the protocols um i definitely will be as well um uh, because you know i do um, believe in looking out for for our neighbors um and and so and looking out for each other just just all, all the way around and so um so i am going to do um I'm, I'm going to be, I'll be there masked up. I'll be masked and back. You already know myself. Yes, I know. Yes, for sure. That's great. Now, let's talk a little bit about Monarca. What is Monarca and what is your role in that uh, that school? And where is okay, it? Okay, so Mon uh, Monarca Academy is based here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, it's a middle school that's going to open up in 2022. Um, Francisco Vario Serra, um, who also worked, uh, was an administrator in Indianapolis Public Schools for a while. He, um, he created the idea for the school, which is to be culturally relevant, to teach our students, but through the lens of the Latino and the immigrant experience, um, the school is open to absolutely everyone. Um, and I kind of see it in some ways, you know, like if a kid is a Latino or isn't an immigrant, they're going to kind of have like an education, how I got, but more like on the street level or more like on the, on a publico. But, you know, they're going to be able to learn about different cultures. They're going to be able to, to have access to, to language instruction throughout the different courses. You know, we're not officially, we're not a dual language school. We're more culturally based. And, um, and I was, you know, so when Francisco asked me to join the board um, and he explained it to me, you know, I was like, oh, it's a charter school. You know, and, and I don't, and, and so I said, let me, you know, really think about this. I'm a huge proponent of public schools, but if a, if a charter comes in and they're offering something that um, our public schools are unwilling um, to, to offer, then I absolutely, and that's needed, then I'm absolutely going to back that up. 
And when I, going back to what I was talking about, about doing my research on my, my German heritage, when I started looking into Indianapolis and like I found all these different resources and like I'm looking through there and one of the huge things that the Germans fought for was their, um, their dual language schools. So the Germans actually had dual language, dual cultural schools here in Indianapolis um, back from the 1850s or early 1860s, somewhere around there. Um, up until the, the, the 1880s, the German English school existed. Um, and if my dates are a little off, I'm sorry, but you know, from what I read in the excerpts from different leaders, German American leaders at the time, I guess like, you know, what we know now about dual language and learning in two languages, that the students perform at a higher level in both languages and their English becomes much stronger by learning it in both languages. Um, and, and so the German students, they didn't, they didn't have to take a test to get into the high school. They were immediately accepted. They said that they were model students. And I'm not saying this because, you know, those are, uh, because I can't completely identify with them. So I'm not saying those just because I'm of German, German, uh, American heritage, but this is actually like written down, um, there, like we have this anecdotal evidence of them saying that the, the bilingual students were much stronger. And so, but they also offered the, um, just a different level of education, a different style where the students could stay connected to their cultures as well. And, you know, up until, you know, the anti-German sentiment, of course, was, was fierce back then. And then, you know, once the wars came, uh, once the early 1900s came, then, you know, dual language schools were completely wiped off the map. And actually, they were codified into the law and made illegal to even teach the language of German. Yes. Um, which the- is, isn't it? So I just, I, I went looking for my own for my heritage and all of a sudden I find stuff all this stuff about dual language and bilingual education in there and I was and, and I was just like wow okay I'm on, I'm on the right path now yes and uh, speaking of the German presence in Indiana was very significant correct I mean there, there were a lot of Germans uh, uh, who uh, who migrated here to Indianapolis and in Indiana right more so in what southern Indiana and, and northern Indiana right? Well, there, yeah, there was um, Southern Indiana, definitely, but the, where the real, like, major enclave um, was in Cincinnati. And then um, and then Cincinnati, they had a huge German um, presence there, and then they slowly but surely came into um, came to Indianapolis. So my family, they actually went to Kentucky first, um, so and to Louisville. And so they were they were there in Louisville back in the 18, late 1850s, uh, early 1860s up until the Civil War. Um, one thing that, that did give me a lot of pride is that um, the German Americans, the vast majority, were staunch abolitionists because they were um, they were peasants who had ran from from um, from kingdoms and from people being ruling over them. And so they saw the United States. They saw it in a very idealistic way. And when they saw that human beings were enslaved. Um, it was natural for them to rise up, and they had this kind of disdain for the enslavers, um, and so they had they had this disdain for them because they saw them the same the people who had held their thumb over them. I, I won't go near as far to or even close to calling them enslaved peoples, um, but they could at least understand what it um, what it felt like to not have your full freedom and to have someone else tell you um, tell you what you. So yes, and and that um, back to Indiana again. The cities and towns wasn't that around Oldenburg and Batesville over there in Indiana, right? That's where the German there was some German presence there, right? Which is near Cincinnati. 
Uh, yeah, Batesville, exactly. And that's where, you know, some of my family were there. And then the other ones, you know, they came here to be city slickers. And, and you know, we're talking about this. And I'm looking right now out of the window of a condo here in, in downtown Indianapolis. And, you know, I'm looking at so many of these, like, red brick buildings, which was like the German signature. Um, I can see the Deutsche House, which is this huge monument that the German-Americans built here. You know, the, the, it's now known as the Athenium. They had to change the name from the, the German house because of the anti-German sentiment um, and because of the wars. Um, and and then, so, but now they got the Athenium and they've got the Rathskeller there. And it's this huge, beautiful, beautiful building that was built um, because the German-Americans wanted to make sure that no matter uh, how many years passed, that people were going to know that the German-Americans were here and left their mark. So where, so, I, where I'm staying at right now in um, on the east end of Indianapolis, it's just filled with German American um, German American heritage, which is which is pretty cool. It's, it's pretty cool to kind of go and get to know my city better and get to know um, the generation of of people that came with my ancestors. And this is the month of the Oktoberfest, right? And down on the south side, don't they, at the south side they have a big Oktoberfest, right? Yeah, yeah, and then they um, the also the the uh, the Rathskeller, the Athenium um, downtown. They, they had one yes. the other day as well, um, and so yeah, so this is this is the the, the Deutsche Month, you know, with a lot of different um, a lot of different festivities going on. Um, anybody in Indiana, if you're looking for some wonderful German food, um, go to the Heidelberg House on East Pendleton Pike, right outside of 465. Um, absolutely wonderful, wonderful food. They have this because see Germany. When, when I started investigating Germany, I realized that, that they also have this huge mix of cultures. You know, they have different people that have come from Turkey and from India and from all around that have really influenced the German culture. So, so one of the mashups, and you know I love fusion, so one of the fusions they have is called Currywurst, which is, uh, which is the Germ- uh, one type of German sausage with, and then what they do is they spread this curry ketchup. So it's like a curry powder and ketchup mixed together. And I didn't know how I was going to feel about it, but as soon as I had one from over at the Heidelberg house, absolutely wonderful. Yes, yeah, that's great stuff. Now, uh, while we're talking about these these various cultures in Indianapolis, but we can talk about the German presence. There was a, a significant Italian presence in Indianapolis and in the Latino presence. And, uh, you know, the, the, while we're talking about it really go, crosses all lines of, uh, of of immigrants, right? And we we look at the immigrants who arrived here and all the possibilities and things that happened when those uh, cultures came to Indiana, correct? And you know, from Germany and and from Italy and Spain and and Mexico and Cuba and and Colombia, uh, those people are here, you know, and they've been here for a long time, many of them, and. Uh, They've affected the, the the what we are, right? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you know, it's you know, everybody's like, oh, they're going to steal our, our culture, our ways, or whatever. Like, you know, from what I understood, they said that those things about the German Germans, and I don't want to compare groups um, to the point of saying that everybody had it exactly the same because I don't feel that's the case. Um, but there was significant um, discrimination towards um, the newcomers. You know, whenever the new ones are coming in, everybody's afraid that they're going to do this and do that. And the Germans actually did. They they changed the face of Indianapolis. They um, 
you know, Indianapolis was very Puritan, very, very extremely Puritan. And so, you know, when the Germans came and they were happy on Sundays and, you know, and doing these types of things that are explained in the books, I've got one that's called 50 Years of, of German, um, I think, Resilience, I think was the word, in Indianapolis. Um, and so when they came, they brought their customs, but they also brought other things. Like they brought, um, you know, their banking styles, so donuts and, you know, all of these different things that are just kind of woven in the fabric of what we just call like American as apple pie, I guess, um, you know, but, but they actually came from immigrants and there were people that were afraid that, you know, that these types of, um, the, what they brought with them culturally was going to negative, negatively affect us here, um, in the U S and, you know, the, um, you know, the only thing I might give them credit for on that is the beer, the alcohol part, alcohol part, but we already had that here anyway, but yes. you know, the, the, but other than that, the things just kind of just wove in, they, they wove themselves into this fabric. And now it's like, you can't even, there's so many different things that, that you wouldn't even realize, Oh, this is German, you know, but, but, yes. but it did yes. come from those, come from those immigrants, gymnastics, you know, the, I mentioned the, the Deutsche house. These big, huge red brick buildings that are all throughout Indianapolis, um, some of them were, were built by Kurt Vonnegut's um, ancestors um, who were architects. But the, they actually, um, the, these buildings that the, that the Germans built were for, like, they were like cultural centers, but they were all about gymnastics. And so they brought gymnastics, they brought live music, they brought, you know, I mentioned beer, um, and they brought bilingual education. And those were the things yes. that they were willing to, um, to organize and fight for, and they said, that because Germans were very, like, tribal, I guess. I don't want to know if I even want to say we, but I guess German-Americans, especially back then, they were very tribal people. Yes. So like, like that, they, they would kind of, like, break themselves off into their own little groups with, uh, away from people they didn't agree with or, or, or whatever it may be. And, but they, um, yeah, but, but when it came to bilingual education and those other things, they were able to come together and, and work together. Yeah, and I think we've all have friends here in Indiana, for example, who are from German descent, many people, and uh, they're just great people, and uh, they brought, gave so much to this country, as did uh, the Japanese people and the Chinese people who are here and all the many, many cultures, right? And we, we talk about the uh, Mideast and the, the people from the Mideast who've been here for years, many of them are... The, the cultures from the, in Asia, and uh, the, there's so many uh, countries that really affect our country and have affected it. And so when we think about uh, uh, the, this uh, whole melting pot in the United States and in, in, in our country, it is indeed a melting pot, and that's what really makes this country great, Correct. I mean, all these cultures, and we're able to live together peacefully, right, in this country, and uh, more most of the time, right? So, uh, you yeah, know. yeah, most of the time, as we're seeing, you know, there's yes. a lot more division <laughs> and divisiveness um, than, than we've seen with with within our at least within my lifetime um, right now. But you know, I think it's important. It's so crucial for people who may identify as um, as white or people who may identify as European-American or some form of European-American, Irish-American, German-American, Italian. Um, I think it's so important for us to know our history because if we know our history, if we know where we came from, if we knew, if we actually knew how bad that our ancestors um, were treated, then I feel like that, we, that would create a space to have much more empathy um, for other newcomers and understanding like, hey, you know, um, uh, 
my relatives or my ancestors may have been treated like that, but I'm going to make darn sure that, that I don't treat the next generation that way. Yes, exactly, exactly. Now, Guero, we're going to proceed to a new part of the show. And my first question here, and there are three uh, questions here, what is your passion uh, when for when you teach and present to students at the concerts? What thing really excites you and you would like to share with teachers that perhaps they could even use in the classroom, maybe? Who knows? And what, what would that be? You know, um, my passion really goes back to how we started, which is, you know, with, with music. And, you know, I didn't use music as much when I was actually in the classroom. Um, we did, but it was more on the social level. You know, like with the Dream Act song that we had created uh, right. and getting, getting our students involved with that within the multimedia project. But it's really that. It's, I believe, and I, I feel like there's a lot of anecdotal evidence and there needs to be more scientific studies. Um, I believe that we can learn um, faster. We can learn easier. Um, we can um, grasp and, and hang on to those languages um, or, or what we're lear- whatever we're learning if we have music. You know, we can use Hamilton as, as an example, you know, as far as the storytelling uh, aspects. You know, I know so much more about U.S. history now just by hearing those songs and getting into them and having the movie play in my head. Um, there is like a movie playing in my head as I'm listening to, to, to that. So I think we really need to investigate how can we use music to be able to help the students. To Absolutely, students yes. That, you know, my, my brain, I mean, you're... Somebody's standing up their lecture and, you know, my brain is going to go, you know, drifting off somewhere at some point. Yes. And, you know, finding the ways to really hold their attention. And um, and so I'm very passionate about the kids who are labeled the bad kids or the kids that are labeled the disruptive kids because they, they learn differently. And I and that's how I was labeled. You know, third yes. grade, I was stuck in the back of the corner. I had to learn to learn with my well, kids um, and, because I was so disruptive. The teacher didn't know what to do with me. So she stuck me in the back corner and put a partition around my desk and, and called it a day. And she didn't have to worry about me being disruptive with the other students. Um, And so really it's like, how do we reach the kids that that other people consider the problem children, uh, quote unquote, um, problem students or or what have you. You know what I'm saying? I'm overgeneralizing. Yes. No, but but it's, it's well said. And I think, very well said. And I think that what we're talking about here, and we've talked about this before in this technology age, you know, of the technology jungle kind of, right? And we, we have a billion of apps out there. It reminds me of years ago, we used to call it the cassette jungle. Remember? The little cassette things came out the tapes, and everybody had cassettes. And now we got the apps, and we got all these neat things. And uh, But, as you said, in the classroom itself, there has to be um, really interaction going on. And there has to be human interaction, and there has to be people doing live things, such as singing, Right singing songs, uh, students creating songs, creating rap songs, and and uh, rapping the variables that you did so so well, the beautifully, the, the rapping the variables in alphabeto. But all of these things, uh, when you put them together, or, you, or the, the teachers that do the skits, or they do the, the oral testing, and but it's kind of in a fun way, right? Uh, and not threatening to the kids. This probably is what we still have to have, right? And and we can't lose it. And uh, I think many teachers out there are very pragmatic about it and still do it, you know, what we're talking about. Uh, and, you know, they don't just, um, as you said, lecture the whole time or put slideshows up there for the whole time or, or just read from a book, you know, a reader, whatever it is. 
and just read the whole time and the students sit there. So, I, I, and you've been like, I am in a way, I'm very big on um, uh, student-centered classrooms, right? You know, where the students are involved in the learning process directly. And I think, would you agree to that, that we still need to do that a lot? Oh, absolutely. We've got to find ways to authentically engage our students, you know. Um, you know, you can go and you can just teach and stand up there and, and you know, and get your check. But if you want to change lives, if you want to be uh, a Mr. Alsup or that, that, that I remember, you know, like, I remember you, you know, forever. And, and you're absolutely one of my favorite teachers because of the way that you were able to connect with me by using the skits, like you mentioned. Um, we used music in the classroom. You would show the videos. Um, and those types of things, I knew that Mr. Austin's class wasn't just going to be, you know, you stand up there and like, okay, two A's, you know, uh, right, uh, right. LS, you know, <laughs> like it was, you found, you know, for what we, for what you had access to at the time or for what was out in the market, like you were able to find authentic methods of engagement and those are absolutely crucial and getting our students using the language because it's one thing to be all like, you know, just like, what do they call it, rotary memorization or something like that. Like, it's one thing to do that. Right. And I could do that. I got music to do that. You know, yo canto, yo canto, yo canto. Yes. Tu canta, tu canta, tu canta. El canta, el canta, el canta. Ella canta, ella canta, ella canta. <laughs> That's great, you know, for programming when it's things like right, that. Right, right. Um, but we've got to find other ways of, of authentically engaging the students and then getting the students to take it to the next level. Yes, that. yes, exactly. And motivating the kids and giving them credit for speaking, right? Uh, you know, giving them a substantial amount of points for speaking the language in a creative way and have opportunities where they get to do that. Uh, I think that's one of the things sometimes about written tests. We get carried away by written tests. And, you know, the most important test I always felt like were whether the kids could express themselves in another language, right? You know, can they yeah. really do something? Can they speak this language? Can they... You know, speak it in situational uh, 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 moments. You know where they might be buying something at the at the tienda de modas, the 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 the, the clothing store or shopping for whatever. They need to get a corte de pelo and they get a haircut. Can they do that? All these little situational real reality things. I think we got to really remember to make those things a huge part of what we're doing, along with problem solving. Uh, problem solutions that, uh, that you might have in a country, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many things, you know, and uh, uh, that we got to still remember that we've got to keep doing. And it takes, you know, like you said, involvement mm -hmm. and group activities and all kinds of neat things. Um, so beautiful. I love how you did that one. And what is needed in world language instruction around the country? Are there different approaches to teaching you think that should be tried? Or should we have a pragmatic practical approach where we do a little bit of everything or do we just go all out in one thing or another right and we just say uh now the big thing is readers do we just want to teach using readers or should we do a little bit of everything or is there some other method that you think may even work better um, yeah, I, I think that using a mix because different students do learn differently. You know, some students are great at, at like we're talking about, like the the, uh, the learning the you know didactically with the you know with the one thing right after another, reading off the page, and or or being able to um, to comprehend things quickly as the as the teacher speaking. Some students are way better 
at that, you know, some, and, and we all have different learning styles. I have like this mixture of different learning styles, um, which can be good and it can be bad, but it's really meeting the students at their level because we can stand up there and stand up on our heels all day long, you know, talking about, well, this is how I did it. This is how I learned it. And this is how, you know, da, 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 da. it's like, okay, do, do you want to have a, do you want to be a, do you want to have a job as a teacher or do you want to be an educator? Yes, you know, um, yes. and so you know, and I don't mean that in any type of like like that's no, no, that's come no. any type of passive aggressive way or anything. But I'm just saying it's the reality. You know, we, we're um, with world language teachers have this huge responsibility because we are teaching our students how to we we have the ability to teach our students um, how to interact with others. We have the ability to teach our students how to respect other people and other cultures. Um, and so that's why for, you know, especially once COVID clears up and things like that, like, you know, it's important for world language teachers to go to the place, go to the places that they're talking about, bring back the memories with you, show your students, show them the pictures, get them excited, show them things that they've never seen before. And they're going to be like, okay, I want more. I want more. What else is there? And then you can then from there, you kind of start begin to introduce more and more to them, um, through that. And, you know, just kind of, you know, then you can show them music or music videos. You know, that's um, one of the huge things that I'm on right now is trying to um, to really get through to students and get them interpreting um, uh, the videos that they see. You know, they can listen to the song. So, like, I'll give you an example of, of a couple of, like, stuff that, that, that teachers can use in the classroom. So I'll find a, uh, a music video. For example, the song um, Wake Me Up, Super Earth and all the elevators and hotels and all that, by Aloe Black. Um, if you just listen to the song, it's a nice song. It'll give you some type of me- some type of feeling, some type of meaning. If you watch it with the music video, and I'm asking everyone to go, uh, um, go on YouTube and look up Wake Me Up acoustic version. If you watch the video, it will give you a completely different vision of the song. And it will like hook you in there like way more. So for me, it's about where can I find um, positive stuff um, or just stuff that addresses reality in the realest way possible. How can I find those things, um, especially as it relates to music and music videos? Um, another thing that I've started to do, and and this is this is where what I'm talking about with the music and music videos. It's it was kind of spawned from the um, see, think, and wonder. Um, art routines, observe, art observation routines. And so with See, Think, and Wonder developed, uh, I learned from the Smithsonian by taking a course from them. With See, Think, and Wonder, you put up a piece of artwork. Um, for example, we'll just use art right now. The students will then begin, you'll say, what do you see here? And so what you want is, what you're looking for is super general. Um, you know, what do they see? If there's a shape, if there's water, if there's whatever, they're just saying that they're not really interpreting it. They're just saying what they see within there. And you get all the students involved as they're talking about it, you know, um, and you could use, uh, some of Diego Rivera's piece, you know, or, or Frida, you know, you could use, use those for example, but there's so much, uh, art out there within the, the Spanish speaking world. Yes. And so then after you ask them what they see, now you're not telling them, no, that's wrong. No, that's not that. You're not, you are not correcting them at all whatsoever. You're just letting them flow. Um, you don't want to shut them down off the bat. And then you say, then after you, then after they tell you what they see, then you say, okay, well, what do you think is going on here? So what do you think is happening in this piece of artwork? And then, so then they're able to get into a deeper level of, well, here, I think that this is happening. Oh, that, you know, whatever it may be. 
uh, you know, they're going to just be coming at, coming at it. And then they're going to vibe off of each other and what each other's saying. The whole idea is to get them inter- interacting, get them engaged. And then you ask them, what, if you ask them, what do you think about this? You ask them, what do you wonder? What does this piece of art make you wonder? And then they'll be like, oh, I wonder, you know, what happened before? Or I wonder what happened after? Or I wonder why this is in there? Why did the artist this? Where is the artist from? You know, the, the types of wonder could be all across the board. And then I've added in, you know, because this was developed by Harvard and the Smithsonian, like the, uh, the see, think, and wonder routine. But I've also, or I've also added in feel. And uh, at the end, because ultimately seeing, thinking, wondering, that is going to help us, those things help us to interpret how we feel. And if you can get students understanding like, wow, this piece of art made me feel this way, and I didn't even realize it until I went through this routine. Um, And so, and the more often you do this, the more success and the more engaged that you're going to get your students in. So what I did was I adapted it from, I still use the art stuff. But I adapted it from that to music and music videos as well um, to get the students um, engaged um, through the process of see, think, wonder, and feel. Yeah, and it, and it boils down, right, to a little bit of uh, poco a poco, little by little, right? You know, what is this? And using You can use the interrogative words where you talk in the language. What, where, how, why did this happen? You know, and, and what do you think? And... But a lot of uh, very, yeah, great stuff, right? What you just said about uh, using art, right, to uh, get everything across. A lot of these things, and you can do a lot of things with art. And uh, one well, of the things, and, of th- and also, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Austin. But one last thing about this stuff. Also, what it allows the students to do is to realize that they have different perspectives. Yes. And, and yes. to realize that there are different ways of viewing um, viewing things. There's different ways of of interpreting things. And, you know, that time with me and art all the time, I'll think, oh, yeah, I know what, you know, what this is, what this is about. And then it'll be about something, you know, totally different. So I think it gives us the students the opportunity to exchange ideas without being wrong and, and also understanding that other people have other perspectives. I'll use this example. There's an a artist from Chicago in the muralist named Hector Duarte. He allowed me to use his, um, his piece of artwork called Corazón Remendado. And it's a heart like the Corazón from the, the Loteria cards. And the bottom half of the heart is the Mexican flag. The top half of the heart is the U.S. flag. And then there's this, like, thing that divides the, the two flags um, within the heart. And some people, when they look at it, they interpret it as that that's the thread that's binding, you know, people together, you know. Um, and then other kids, you know, and we're talking Mexican, Mexican and Mexican-American kids, both from similar backgrounds, but interpreting it totally different. Where, where one sees, oh, it's holding us together, the other's like, Oh no, that's that's actually barbed wire. That's like separating us. And so, so just being able to get the different perspectives of um, and and understanding, you know, like that's that's a very powerful one. Um, you know, especially you know, excellent, got a lot excellent, yes, beautiful. And when I add something to this, you kind of opened up when you do this. What you just said, you also open up the world of art. I mean, everything. I mean, we're, we're not just painting, right? But but literature. And I always think of poetry because uh, poetry is kind of like a painting, right? I mean, it's like, you know, you can have a beautiful poem and it tells a picture, but it isn't so long, right? I mean, in you know, you can have a short poem that could be powerful, right? And it can give you a picture of what's going on and the action, et cetera, et cetera. 
And it, all of this, a poem, or, or go back to painting, like you said, and, and art, uh, the, all of these things, though, are, um, deal with creativity, right? Teaching the kids how to be creative, right? You're really going beyond everything because, uh, which all, all that you said is great, but it also teaches people creativity, right? Yeah, how to yeah, be exactly, creative because they're going to be like, oh, I can use art to express myself. Yeah, absolutely, and, and they, then you yeah. got you got them fully engaged at that point. And, and, then, and if you can get them to where they're writing poems, writing songs, or creating yes, their own artwork, yes, exactly. I mean, that's the, you're doing your job. You're doing your job. Right? You're you're doing the job and beyond, and that's the goal, right? Uh, this this idea of the kids expressing themselves, being creative, um, and and being able to do things like that. And I think if if what you just said too about instruction. If we kept, if we keep thinking about this, this idea of creativity and art and uh, painting and, and literature, uh, it could be a short novel or short play. It could be, uh, and I say that for early early language uh, students. They probably don't. They can't. You can't do huge long things with them. But uh, and and poetry, especially poetry, though po- poetry, I think. It really lends itself to a lot of fun language teaching, and it's always fun to memorize the poems, right? And uh, you know, to every have... rap, Mister Alton, every rap verse that I wrote that I've written um, has been it has its own poetic value to it. And yes, hip hop is poetry with a beat. Absolutely, um, absolutely, it is poetry. And... Yes, absolutely, totally. I totally agree, and and that's beautiful. I mean, that gives the kids a chance, you know, to do their own creation, right? They can they can be yeah. artsy, they can be artists, they can, you know, do things um, on their own, right? And and as you said, yeah. that that should be our goal maybe in education. That's what we strive to do. And no matter what the kids are studying, you know, and, and I'll throw this in, we're on this topic now, but I, I see this every day in my my classes at, uh, at Butler University. They're, those kids... They're, they're going to be doctors, some of them lawyers, they're going to be accountants, they're going to be bankers, they're going to be teachers, they're going to be veterinarians, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing that really I think that, that helps them is to give them a chance to be creative, right? And again, to be open to the world of art a little bit and have some poetry, have some paintings, have, have discussions about art and creativity and, and different things. But all of that will make them better in whatever they're doing, right? It doesn't just have to be. They don't have to be a painter. They don't have to be a teacher or a poet, right? But whatever they're doing, right, to be creative is going to make them better at everything, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. And most people that are artistic, they also know that by doing, you know, what you what you love or you're passionate about, or even if it's just a quick journal entry, like these are, are emotional releases. So, you know, we, we've got a lot of, of kids that, that have to deal with a lot. They're, they're, you, know, they, you know, we don't know what our students go home to. Um, no, abs- so absolutely. Some of them, you know, they actually, you know, that those hours in school are like the, the, best, the best hours of their day. Um, and, and so just being able to teach them how to be able to get that emotional release from writing about what they feel. Um, you know, from creating a piece of art, you know, if you're angry instead yes. of lashing out at someone, lash out at that piece of paper, you know, with your, with your, your paintbrushes or your, your, whatever you use to do art, you know, um, really use that. And I, I believe it's super effective because 
so often we let our emotions get contained within our, ourselves and they just bottle up, you know, until the point where, you know, we don't even know how to manage them at that point. We're just running hectic and, and our brain's going everywhere. And I speak from experience with this. Um, but to be able, I know that absolutely when I write about what I feel, um, I feel absolutely better uh, than, than I did before. It's yes. like I don't have to have it on my heart and on my head as much um, because it's already there uh, on that piece of paper. Yes, uh, well said. And then the other thing is um, when we let the students uh, paint, let them write, let them write a poem, let them write a song, let them create something, um, it just opens up a whole world, right, of fa imagination, fantasy, all kinds of neat things for the student to be creative, right? And uh, whatever they're doing and and whatever discipline they're in, and it it, it just broadens the, the, the kids a lot. And so, um, uh, great, I'm glad you brought up uh, the arts and, and the great importance they are in, in language learning because they are hugely, hugely important. And we need to be doing more of that, letting the kids write those little short stories. They could write little short poems. They can write longer poems. If they're advanced students, they can uh, do all kinds of great, neat things. And they can paint. A lot of them like to paint. Some of them can draw. Uh, some of them are better writers. And uh, so we have to open these doors up so they can do this, right, in, in teaching yeah. and education. And that's what we're there for, right? That's the most important aspect now what advice do you have my last question what advice do you have for teachers and world language teachers um find a ways to do things different um find a ways to engage your students you know with with authentic cultural uh, uh, uh methods i guess or materials rather um you know really show them the places you know go out of your way to show them different than what the stereotype or what some person on tv might say about um, the cultures of the people or the groups of people that you're that, that you're teaching as far as uh, the the dominant language um, for those cultures, you know, go beyond that. Go go far beyond that. Teach the students that that Spanish isn't the only language um, in Mexico. The only you know, there's there's dozens and hundreds even of, of indigenous indigenous languages. You know, teach them about those things. You know, um, teach them about the the Afro descendants, uh, the Afro Mexicanos. Um, that, that are there, you know, go beyond, engage your students, you know, the, the second president of Mexico um, was, was of African descent. His, um, his grandparents, I want to say, Vicente Guerrero, his, um, his grandparents were enslaved people in the, in the United States, and they fled to Mexico. Um, and so, you know, and thankfully Mexico has really done more to, to shine the spotlight on the Afro-Mexicanos who were kind of like marginalized. And I, I'm sure they still are, but, they, but they've done a much better job in kind of bringing to the light um, the history of that. And, uh, and so just going beyond, teaching, you know, show them the reality. And if you can show them the reality, you show them the cultures, you know, the language stuff, they're going to want to learn the language stuff. You know, not, not everybody, of course, but, you know, if you can create those connections, if you can create those connections and then create those connections to the real world as well. And that's going to be different depending on where the people live, um, where you're at. You know, if you're in, if you're in Texas or California, you know, you might have access to things you may not have access to here in Indiana. But, you know, when you create those connections and then you just add in the word, you know, here and there, if you're showing them whatever it may be, then you just use the Spanish words. Um, don't be afraid to use Spanglish. Like, like, please, like, I know so many people that are so anti-Spanglish and that does not make sense. 
because Spanglish like works as a perfect bridge um, for students to express themselves. So allow them to express themselves because what you're doing is you're building up their confidence to speak. Um, even if they're not using some perfect Spanish, they're not going to, you know, think about the alternative of them just sitting there like me, like, why am I going to learn this language, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so find those ways to, to really engage them. Use Spanglish as a, you know, have fun. Have fun with Spanglish, Spanglish and language mixing. Teach them about cognitive. Um, you know, and like with what I'm really excited about going for this, this program in Germany, this Inter-American Studies program, is it's the study of how we all interact together. How, you know, what are the decisions that we make here in the U.S. and Canada that then, you know, uh, could potentially force people to migrate from their homes, which are many times beautiful paradises. Like, why would anybody want to, like, run here to run from there to come up here to get treated like crap? You know, and yeah. just teach the kids about empathy. Teach them to be kind. Yes. Teach them to be better to, to, to be better people because that's what we need. We, yeah. we, the, our teachers, you know, you're... Uh, educators, rather, you're you're a first or last line of defense in all this, and and something's got to change. Something has to get better, and and it starts with it starts with with us as educators, you know, especially you all that are there doing it, you know, six eight hours a day. You know, yes. you have such an amazing power to be able to change student lives and change how they see the world, um, and also change your own heart and change the way the way that you see the world and strengthen the way you see the world so that you can become a better ed educator. Guero, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, well said, all the, the discussion that we had, it was well said, beautifully done. And I appreciate you being on the show, as always. And uh, we'll certainly welcome you back again at a later date. Uh, maybe we can do a show from Germany. <laughs> that'd be nice, right? Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing yeah, if, we, you, if we can do the show from Germany. Maybe yeah, you that, could, would, that would be really cool. You could bring a German uh, student with you or somebody, and we could, who knows a little, a little English, and we could, that'd be fun. That'd be a great time. Uh, listen, I'm, it, the good part is that this is a world language show, and it was so neat that we got some great things in about Germany, right? And, and the German people and wonderful people, and we're just glad we were able to do that too. So thank you for all of your great uh, observations today, and it was really fun. And, uh, do come back and visit us, okay? Absolutamente. So, muchísimas gracias, señor. Hombre, a ti también. Yeah, yeah, mil gracias también, hombre. Uh, now, what we're going to do, uh, listeners, don't forget, uh, I'm going to try to do a live show from the conference. I'll probably have my mascarilla, I'll probably have my mask on. But anyway, we'll see how it goes. So, check back in the second week of November. And the Indiana World Language Conference is coming up first weekend of November. It's at the Marriott out on the northeast side. And uh, please try to be there and enjoy the, the good times. And uh, I suppose we'll be in mask, but at least we're doing it live, pretty much all live. Uh, so uh, please try to be there if you can. Uh, again, thank you, listeners, and come back and join us. Thank you so much. And que, que descansen esta noche. And maybe enjoy your fall break. Okay, nos vemos. Bye. Adios.